Hello, lovers. I'm your host, Briz Taylor, and I'd like to welcome you all to my podcast, Seeking Sovereignty, a show where I chalk it up with folks about their journeys and practices of being spiritually sovereign. If it's one thing I know, it's that I know nothing at all. Join me as I leave no stone unturned, uncovering all the darkness that brings us to the light and my journey to finding my soul family. I hope you enjoy Seeking Sovereignty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of Seeking Sovereignty. Today, I'm with Stephen Winters, who is the co-founder of White Wolf Wellness. He is a lead facilitator of yoga, meditation, and sound healing, the current caretaker and developer at Camp Okihi. He's a professional artist, and Stephen has been studying and practicing meditation in various forms since the 90s. After moving from Chicago to Bakersfield in 2013, Stephen found a home in this robust community of hardworking people. He opened a wellness center, Samsara, in 2015 with his wife and business partner, Catherine, which thrived until 2019 due to the onset of COVID. Stephen also co-founded the White Wolf Wellness Foundation in 2018. White Wolf's newest project, Okihi, is a 14-acre county-owned site along the majestic Kern River. Formerly a Boy Scout camp, the property has been abandoned since 2010 and fallen victim to vandalism and theft ever since. The Okihi mission is to build a sustainable community around the magic of the Kern River. To be sustainable, a community must be mindful, and that is why mindfulness will be the heartbeat of Okihi Preserve. By rehabilitating the land, rebuilding the infrastructure, and supporting native species, Okihi will become a riverfront oasis for generations to come. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Thank How you are for you? that intro. Yeah, it's quite nice. A long-winded one. Well, I mean, I wrote it, so (laughs) (laughs) it's my fault. Yeah. (laughs) I want to start this all by just asking how you really got started in all of this and where your journey began. Wow. Well, really, I think, you know, like many people's journey, it's whatever the first moment you kind of like leave the nest and all of the known conditioning you've been given as you grow up. And, you know, it happens at different times for different people due to different reasons. But for me, you know, I, I started my college career at the Air Force Academy, um, not due to direct pressure from my family, but just indirect. You know, I got a lot of reward and praise for mm. being accepted to, to that school. And so I tried it out. But when I found out it wasn't for me and I left on my own accord and started to take responsibility for the direction of my life a little bit more, I feel like that was really the beginning of, of, of like my spiritual journey, you know, where I started to question what was fed to me, what was given to me. And I had a great childhood. It's nothing against it, but it's, you know, I think it, it's important to have an authentic spiritual journey is to, to honor your authentic self. And so that was kind of the first step for me. And, you know, so that led me to play baseball at some other schools. I got to travel all over the country. Mm. Uh, and then I, you know, I found my true passion was, you know, I wanted to be an artist. And so I, uh, I, I, was accepted the Art Institute of Chicago and moved to Chicago, didn't know anybody. And then, man, that was just another layer of that spiritual journey because, man, that city's, it's intense in a lot of beautiful ways, but um, it really kind of pressed and molded, you know, me mm. into, I, I think, a, a lot of who I am today. It was great. Yeah. Where did you come from prior to Chicago? Um, I was playing baseball in Louisiana mm. and uh, Louisiana Tech, go Bulldogs. <laughs> and it was great. I loved the experience. It was amazing. But, you know, then I, I left and I got to go live in Vail for a little while. My dad and my sister lived there. And I was a wrangler on a ranch. That was like my first job out of, high, you know, out of college because I couldn't work while I played sports. It was just NCAA rules. 
And so I, yeah, I worked my way onto this ranch and thought I was just going to be shuttling people from resorts up to the ranch, but they had to fire a few wranglers when they hired me. And so, you know, they quickly, oh, are you, you know, are you uh, comfortable on riding horses? You have any experience? And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> uh, really trying to sell myself. I want to keep this job. And great, you know, you can start in the, in the crowd today. We, we just fired two wranglers. We need you to help out with the horseback tours. I was like, oh shit. But it, you know, it taught me a great lesson. And three days into it, I got bucked off really bad, you know, and that was a big teacher. But I ended up studying, you know, from some great cowboys and really learning from the horses themselves. And by the end of the summer, I mean, I was a competent rider. It was one of the best summers of my mm. life. And then from there, from living in this beautiful, open, expansive space in Vail, I went to Chicago and like lived in this grimy city that was really uh, intense. Yeah, I was trying to like understand the culture shock that that must it have was, been, yeah. but also kind of super cool and like you said, like molded, yeah, shaped you in a way. That's incredible. I would like to ask you, what would you say is the best way to stay in a creative space? Well, you know, creativity is a powerful force and it's tricky, you know. Something I learned in art school actually at the Art Institute was, you know, that this idea that it's impossible to create and to critique at the same time. You know, so you really need to allow for both processes. And I think the critique really gets in the way of a lot of people's creativity. You know, we're too quick to kind of step in and expect what we want to see. And then when it doesn't look exactly like what we expect to see, there's that creates conflict and resistance and, and conflict and resistance. You know, they create a lot of vibrations in the, in the field of perception and, and, they, and, and we start to get frustrated. And we don't see things the right way. I'm sure you've, you know, a common way to experience it is if like you lost your keys, your sunglasses or something like that and you start to get frustrated. It's like you might look at them like three times or forget they're on your head, you know, or something yes. like that. But it's because you're not just lo you're, you're looking for what you expect to see versus what's there. And uh, I think it's really easy for that to happen just on a day to day basis. So especially with the creative process, you know, that being said, I, I don't think that, you know, creativity is something that can be experienced in any kind of step-by-step -step process. It, it can't mm. be dogmatic, it has to be a living thing. Creativity is a living thing. So you, yes. I, I think it's really important to, to leave room for that living relationship versus being like getting into a, you know, it's really easy to get, find a process that works for you in the beginning and then kind of let it just die and become this remote thing that you just do. You know, that's mm. where a lot of uh, ritual happens that we don't, the unconscious ritual kind of stuff, yes. you know, ticks almost just playing baseball in college like I know guys had it you know good luck this or that you had to tap yourself a few times a certain way kind of thing and and it becomes powerful because we give it power mm. but in reality it's less creative than being alive and being present with what's there and really swimming with the moment you know and I think it's always good to pull from processes that work for you but allow that space to to use what's needed in the moment you know to try to avoid doing steps one two three four and five that worked for me last week if they work for you now, great, but you'll know pretty yes. quick if they don't and don't like be a slave to that process and mm. lose the creativity of it, you know? I think just as we grow and change, your, your creative process should grow and change with you and you should allow for that. You know, and, and I, you know, meditation, I really teach trying to, to reach this high level of creative process within ourselves, which is, it's, it's really beyond, you know, the physical layers, it's beyond, you know, even the mental and emotional layers. It's a real letting go and finding emptiness, you know? Mm which I'd love to talk more about. But in general, I, I think that no matter what your process is that you're using, you know, I teach that there's some certain layers you have to address in order to be successful in achieving this really kind of empty creative state where anything is possible. Mm. 
and that's really the first step to manifesting your, you know, you know, your, your, uh, your real passions, your real soul's purpose is to being open to what they are, not projecting what you think they need to be. Right. And that's a tricky step. You know, in general, the process I teach is that you need to find a good relationship to the space you're in. Space is the first thing to address because mm. it's what sort of defines what I am and what all this is, you know. And if that's in conflict, you know, if you're in a dangerous situation or you're reliving a traumatic space and yes. you're in that, I mean, spaces are not just what's outside, it's inside what we're feeling. Um, it's just a relationship. You know, we can be um, here at Okihi, but we're also in Bakersfield and we're also in California and we're also, mm -hmm. you know, but all those are superficial things anyways, right? What we really are on this planet and there's a whole relationship to everything. Yes. And it goes inward too. So I, I have fun tricks and ways and techniques that you can, you know, help understand what that relationship needs to be for you as an individual so that you can be at harmony and peace with your relationship to the space within and out. And and the body becomes a natural sort of barrier for what defines that space, doesn't it? Yes. You know? Yes. When I offer people the chance to change that relationship if they like, you know, move your chair around, blah, 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 what happens is they realize, oh, I'm moving my body in space. Mm. So it gets them in touch, it gets the practitioner in touch with what your body is. And that's the next layer, you know, because if, uh, if you're bleeding to death or you're in pain or you're really sick or whatever, if the body is consumed in a real physical state of something, it's really hard to go beyond that layer. Yes. You know, so it's important to cultivate health over time through like yoga and exercise and just taking care of yourself, mm. uh, eating well, you know, which I think are all personal relationships on their own. Right. Uh, but, you know, in general, if your body is healthy and you know how to make it comfortable in whatever space you're in, you know, whether you're sitting or standing or exercising, as long as you're comfortable doing what you're doing, you're going to be able to trans transition beyond that layer if you want to. Yes. You know? and, and, and if you're able to go there, you talk to anybody, an artist, an athlete, a surgeon, anybody that's meditated, the breath is sort of this next kind of layer that you connect to, that you get to connect to. And so it's a big part of my process. Step three, yeah. <laughs> if there's steps. Take me back a little bit uh -huh. to the beginning of like when you first started doing yoga, when you first started doing meditation, and tell me the transformative things that happened within you during those times. Well, you know, I think that's where I discovered this process that I'm talking about, you know, is uh, it, if, if I apply, you know, that to just taking yoga, you know, I, I found a space that mm -hmm. was held by a teacher in a clean you know, environment that was conducive to being at peace and like finding you know a connection to myself so that was the first step mm. you know I started to think about it just how I set up my mat and how I lined myself up on my mat you know it became this like beautiful living way of just addressing what I need to reflect who I am right you know and then you're there so what do you start doing you know you get into the body you start moving the body and sometimes there's resistance or there might be a little tension or sometimes there's strength and flexibility and you feel like strong and empowering you know it doesn't mm. always have to be like this critical thing but yoga gives you that opportunity it gives anybody who practices it regularly the opportunity to really explore the connection to your own body mm -hmm. you know by albeit not all yoga is good stuff i mean there's a lot of unhealthy things that get done in the name of yoga out there and definitely i was i was lucky enough with the teachers that i've had to to help me see beyond that and to see these other layers you know mm -hmm. the breath is a big one my teachers were big pranayama instructors so the breath has always been a big big part of my practice and um you know you can stop there and a lot of people do and just like okay now i'm ready to go be this whatever my role is i play in life and i kind of forget about all that stuff you know it kind of gets categorized mm. but you know the real intentions of yoga time immemorial you know ever since yoga has been a thing it's been many different things there's still this sort of path to what's beyond that you know to what's beyond the space we're in the body we live in our breath 
and and you get into the mind you know which is multi-layered and different to look at um there's you know energy there emotional energy mental energy physical mm -hmm. energy energies we don't even understand you know but ultimately to to really achieve the yogic state you know it, this ultimate connection you have to let go of all that stuff and you really have to 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 let yourself become empty um mm -hmm. to what the mystery of of life is right now you know right and 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 so mystery is sort of the final the final goal is just accepting like i don't know what's here you mm. know yes and then that that's cleansing and, and and inspiring and there's a lot of wisdom there in itself and and it affects you just like negative things affect us and leave an imprint so does spending time in that space just kind of being empty mm -hmm. you know and it affects you and you carry that with you out into the world and and i think you if you know anybody that practices these things it's pleasant to be around them because they're just so empty to what is mm -hmm. there's no there's very little resistance or uh, or, or tension there and they you know you learn to kind of dance with what's there and that's I think that's one of the most beautiful manifestations of the practice and a lot of people dance in different ways you know, mm. some people make music some people make art some people just are just good people that do a lot of good in the community around them you know there's a lot of different ways to do it so that's why I devoted myself to teaching it you right. know tell me about being a teacher ah okay yeah, you know, being a teacher is a wonderful thing. Um, I definitely didn't take a traditional course to it. I'm not like a school teacher, of course, or anything. But um, I, I've been really fortunate to just uh, have lots of really good teachers in my life, especially when I opened myself up to it and really tried to empty my cup and just like kind of surrender to what I don't know. You know, the information just seemed to pour in. And sometimes it was a person. Sometimes it was a person that's not alive anymore reading a book. Mm. A lot of times it was just the living moment, you know, my own body or my breath or my thoughts or my emotions but you know I think it's important to not try to expect too much what you think your teacher needs to look like or look for a guru or look for yes. you know that whole traditional yes. system has a lot of flaws you see it all the time there's a lot of Netflix specials about it you yes. know the the root problem I think of that of looking at it that way looking for somebody else to give you the answers is that the guru you know there's a saying that the guru takes your problems away from you says alright I'll take your problems but here's all my problems Yes. You know, and then yes. all of a sudden you're living this guru's perspective and you're exploring life through this other person's lens. And that's at the end of the day what it is, which is really a, a disservice to, to what a gift it is to be a self, to have this like yes. unique lens and life experience. So being a teacher, I think, means being a good student to me, for sure. I've always mm -hmm. tried to, to stay a good student. You know, like I said, I've had lots of good teachers, but there's definitely been a few really important ones, you know, mm -hmm. that I consider kind of my primary teachers are Ganga and Tracy, uh, Ganga White and uh, Tracy Rich out at the White Lotus Foundation in Santa Barbara. They were one of the first Westerners to bring yoga to Los Angeles. They had the first yoga center in Los Angeles. You know, they opened up the White Lotus shortly after and did something kind of similar to what we're doing out here at Okihi. You know, basically took some, some land that was being taken advantage of and, and turned it into a beautiful yoga center where they, mm -hmm. you know, invited people from their travels out in India and all over the world to come and give talks. And so they really were an integral part of spreading that wisdom to, to America, to the West Coast and beyond. And they traveled all over the States and all over the world. I mean, it's amazing the stories they have, uh, but that's just the superficial layer of them. I've gotten to get to know them very personally. And, and so I know there's, there's definitely value to, I think, you know, having a teacher that uh, you can really personally connect to, be seen by, mm -hmm. and, and get that feedback, you know, when you need it. You know, it's definitely important. But I've been lucky to have teachers that always push, push uh, help me, uh, inspire me to, you know, find my own answers. Yes. You know, that's what, a, that's what a big part of teaching is, I think, is like helping others find their own answers. What was your most powerful teachable moment throughout all of your healing work? 
Hmm. So there was this uh, one time at the White Lotus, actually. It was during my first training experience with him. And it's a really intense, I think it's like 16 days, you know, mm. and you're just on retreat. Wow. Um, so you have a lot of time to, you know, do whatever you need to do. And, and whatever, you know, is inside of you that hasn't had a chance to come up in the chaos of day-to-day life, you know, can come up there. So it's this interesting soup of like bliss and uh, and looking at trauma and seeing, you know, mm. deconditioning kind of like washing some of the conditioner out of your hair kind of thing and you're there with you know I was there with like I think 30 other people doing the same thing and 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 we all had our own personal reasons for being there although there was like a similar kind of thread you know everybody kind of comes with different different stuff but so by the end of the 16 day thing you know one of the last days we had a day of silence and it was amazing it was awesome we got to do a intuitive practice in the morning where we were all in the room and there was just beautiful music playing and it was just Hey, whatever you want to do on your mat, you know, like feel free. Um, the next several hours are all going to be in silence. So, you know, my eyes were closed and I was moving and feeling like just uh, so in the flow. And out of nowhere, the woman next to me was decided that it was her time to, to do some handstands. And she fell and her foot hit me right in the back of the head. <laughs> Um, and totally just like yanked me out of this like blissful state. And, yes. you know, I saw I like I immediately had a reaction like I would have had as like an 18 year old kid or, you know, some, you know, what the hell? And I broke silence and I like kind of yelled at her a little bit and was just like, what are you doing? Like, what's your problem? You know, and like then I immediately felt embarrassed and like, oh, my God, like I saw that part of myself come up. Yes. You, you know, yeah, that reaction was still there. So. I immediately took myself out of the room. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to cause any more, you know, ripples into anybody else's bliss while I'm dealing with my, my trauma, you know? Yeah. Um, so I go outside and the White Lotus is this beautiful, you know, 40 plus acre place out in Goleta overlooking the ocean and there's animals everywhere. There's nature, uh, you know, it's just gorgeous. It's a magical place. So I, I just decided, well, maybe this was a blessing and like, I'm going to just do my thing outside. We have silence for the next several hours. Like there's no schedule I can do whatever I want. And so, you know, one part of a silent retreat, you know, if it's, if it's kind of done sort of like the traditional uh, way is it's not just not speaking, you know, mm-hmm. um, you also try to kind of close off any communication, you know, you're not looking people in the eyes and like trying to get a reflection and a reaction. You know, you start to see all the subtle layers of communication. You really quiet all those down too. Mm-hmm. You start to walk, you, the goal is to walk a little slower, be really conscious of each time you lift and, and reconnect to the earth and like, so you really slow down. So I, you know, continued having this nice physical practice, but then got more into the walking meditation of it. And I mean, for hours I was doing this, it was really nice. And I started to notice that the more I slowed down, it seemed like the more nature kind of came to me and like nature was observing me. You know, I wasn't just observing nature. I really felt that like the observer is the observed relationship. And so I started to be able to, to sort of adjust my actions according to what the response was from the natural world around me, you know, and I just kind of felt guided to a certain place to go kind of sit down and become even more still. And sure enough, you know, lizards were coming out, just checking me out. And I'm not kidding you, a hummingbird came out right out and just like checked me out for a good minute and a half and just like, you know, kind of float around me and like looked at me and like landed on this little log. And then, you know, just um, another bird, a a scrub jay came down and just spent some time with me. And, uh, this is, you know, hours going by, just really soaking this up. And the, the wisdom that I got from that was just, you know, that we are natural beings. Mm-hmm. And when you live unnaturally, which means 
against or in conflict with the natural rhythm of your being, the essence of being alive that kind of you're born with. You don't have to try to you know, do anything to make your heart beat or be born or like, you know, food tastes good. You don't have to try to make it, you know, mm. there's, there's these certain es- essential kind of things that you don't have to, you know, digesting your food. You don't have to try to do it. You don't have to hold yourself on the ground. Gravity's holding you there. And so that's kind of what I was talking about earlier is connecting with your, your essential nature. And so I realized the more I connect with my essential nature, let go of busy mind, busy mouth, mm. action, physical, you know, my space, this is what I expect to see. Well, the rest of nature was able to vibrate with me more and and mm-hmm. i wasn't such an intruder as much as i was a part of it all and and so i you know i kind of just realized how powerful you know mindful based and conscious conscious minded practices can become because they teach you uh, how to control the, the your vibration your, the rhythm of of your actions your thoughts your emotions mm-hmm. and uh and there's no doubt that being attuned to your natural rhythms is, is a healthier way to be right you know beautiful yeah so that was a powerful moment for sure and I and it still I, I had to keep studying it you know I mean it's still I'm still learning from it right um, but it's a big part of what led me here and to this project and because I know that that was a part of the medicine you know mm. you can't I, I think it's much harder to do this in a busy city on the bus riding to work at five in the morning you know right so it's uh, it's important to, to, to find that connection. You have to fight for it these days in modern society. You do. You have to find it. But I found that, you know, in, in all the stories that I know, friends and people that I know, clients I've worked with, um, all you have to do is start to look. Mm. That's that's just all you have to do. And it, it you find your way there, you know, right. whether it's through community or just opportunities or doing a teacher training or going to a yoga class, you know. Um, taking self-defense lessons or something just that you really feels good for you that's the first step I think it's important to recognize opportunity when yeah. you see it though it's almost like you have to open your eyes to see the opportunity though you know or you'll just miss oh yeah miss it so like you're saying like you have to you have to really look for it but it's always there do. you know there's yeah. plenty of opportunity I think it's about seeing it and seeing it as an opportunity and not something that's difficult or hard yeah, sometimes that can put a lot of fear in the way of what, you know, what you're looking for. Right. <laughs> well, tell me about out here. We're out here at Camp Okihi right now shooting yeah. this episode. It's a stunning property. Tell me about White Wolf Wellness a little bit and Okihi and what your ultimate goal for serving the community is. I'd love to. You know, so White Wolf Wellness started as basically we wanted an opportunity to do what we could do in the yoga studio as far as providing, you know, different forms of holistic self-care to mm. people but uh we you know we, we wanted to provide access to that to people who might not ever go to a yoga studio might not be able to go to a yoga studio and i hesitate to even you know I, I like to use the word underserved versus like underprivileged but just communities that don't have the 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 privilege and the luxury of having that time mm. you know there's a this thing in, in yoga a, a lot of people refer to as a powerful you know essential component of it the eight limbs of yoga And the first two are actually the yamas and the niyamas, which are kind of like, almost like the Ten Commandments in in essence. It's basically like how to take Mm -hmm. care of your, you know, how to find peace with your environment. You know, don't steal from people. Right. Don't, you know, you know, basic stuff. Don't lie. You know, be honest with other people. Uh, It's it's really simple stuff. And then how to take care of yourself, too. Just like, you know, brush your teeth, wash your hands, eat well. Right. You know, I mean, there's uh, you need to take care of those things first before you ever start doing a yoga practice on a yoga mat. Mm. We saw that there's 
a, a bunch of different ways to apply the wisdom and the benefits of what yoga is and has been and can be. And so we started, we wanted a way to meet communities where they're at. Instead of making them come to a yoga studio, a place that might be unfamiliar, a language they might not speak, let's figure out a way to bring it to them. We realized quickly, you know, through a nonprofit, you have opportunities and, and ways to get the community involved that you might not through a business model that needs to be profitable and, and sustain itself in a commercial market, you know. Right. We hate, the one thing we hated about a yoga studio is being in competition with other yoga studios, whether we liked it or not. You know, mm -hmm. that was a really unfortunate aspect to it. And so by being creative and taking a chance on doing a nonprofit, we kind of wrote a grant for ourselves and presented it to Kern Behavioral Health and Recovery Services. And, and created a pilot program that ended up going on for three years, included other yoga studios, and, but we were the directors of it primarily, and, and it, we served you know, over 3,000 people in the Kern Valley. We traveled to Delano and Tehachapi and Fraser Park and go to libraries and parks and, and, and try to meet people where they're at. And you know, we weren't having like 30 people in a class or anything like that, but there was always you know, 10, 12 mm -hmm. people there. Some of them, you know, were teen mothers that were brought their kids, and we just had to kind of address that and let that be a part of the space. And the important thing was we got to, to spread just a little tiny techniques and tricks and methods that you can use without ill effect that, you know, automatically will make you feel a little bit better than you did moments ago. Right. You know, and, and that's really what's important in developing healing practice is just, you know, doing the little things to make yourself feel a little bit better than you did a moment ago adds up quick and pretty soon you start feeling pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. okay so tell me a little bit of a, a little bit about why we had to pause and what just happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was great you got to be here to see some of uh what being at okihi and, and building this vision really is about you know one of the reasons that we were able i think to to negotiate a lease with the with the county was that this place was being taken advantage of there was just people coming out here ever since the Boy Scouts left it and the caretaker, there's no longer a caretaker on the property. Anybody and anybody would come out here and do whatever they want. We found, you know, a couple stolen cars. There was a, a cockfighting ring in the river house right over here. There was a, two fires yeah. last summer caused by people on the property. So th there was a big need for security just to secure this amazing piece of land that, that belongs to the community. Mm. And there's a definite precedence where if there's somebody living on the property taking care of it, nothing happens to it. It gets taken care of. It's protected. So security was our first phase one of our plan. We have a three-phase plan um, over the course of the next five years to get this place to our full vision. Wow. So the, yeah, the first most important part was security. So we got uh, a big grant from the Kern River Parkway Foundation. Our friend Bill Cooper um, gave us $50,000 to put the fence up. So wow. we had a neighbor, Mike Harvick, that built our gate for us. And mm -hmm. so steadily just our presence and these little simple security measures, putting up security cameras around the perimeter, have really helped deter people that have tried to get back on the property. Right. You know, last week we had somebody try to ram through our gate, which was scary. And just now we had to stop because uh, there's somebody walking along the road kind of coming on the property in the distance. So we always have presence on the property. So today's my day, actually. So I had to go investigate it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, more often than not, I just turn, someone's hitchhiking or trying to make it somewhere and they're just walking along. So right. we, we try to still approach everybody with kindness and compassion and you know hey you okay do you need help yes. you know as we fill out the situation but we're definitely very adamant about the security out here because we have to be right now right and we want right. anybody who comes out here to enjoy the the beauty of nature to feel like they're safe yes you know that's a big part of what we're doing is holding space out here so yeah and alongside with that we're building infrastructure so there's no electric there was no electricity no running water out here you know it was just some land right 
And part of the, the negotiation with the county was that they are going to bring water out here at some point. We're just kind of waiting for that to happen. So, you know, as we, as we go about it, we've figured out ways around all those, you know, normal accoutrements that accompany modern life. <laughs> right, right. You know, we just had to learn to live differently, which has been a teacher in itself. But, you know, we got electricity out here. We're close to having bathrooms that work. And uh, we're really excited for, you know, some of the fundraisers we're going to do this fall. We're still not open totally, you know, but right. we're slowly starting right. to get ready to where, oh, we, we might be able to do like a retreat. And we definitely provide, you know, some educational opportunities for people to come out and get their hands in the dirt and yes. plant stuff, learn how to make, help things grow, learn about natural ecology and how important it is to to save what left we have of the Kern River right. flowing through Bakersfield. So, Well, tell me about some of the events that you do out here. Yeah, well, we started last year. We moved out here in December, and <clears throat> we we had a, a winter solstice event. That was the first event we had out here. I mean, the land was raw, you know, mm. but we still had like 50 people show up, and we had a great time, some live music, and people camped out. It was, it was cool. It was a really nice way to christen the land. And then the next day, we did like a formal like prayer circle with a bunch of people came out, and planted a bunch of uh, mushroom substrate, made a mushroom garden. I mean, there's all this cool stuff that we did. So that was like the first event. And then we decided to work with Crimson Sky, who's a local musician. She's amazing. Really cares a lot about the Kern River. And we partnered with her to put on this live music event with local artists. You know, we feature some kind of local food source, you know, like a food truck or something like that. And people can come for a donation. They purchase a ticket and they can come enjoy live music, ride on the river, explore the property. And I mean, the, the space itself is great. I mean, people come out here and they just, it's, they're able to relax a little bit differently. You know, you breathe a little bit differently around nature take more deep breaths in, smelling that fresh air. Um, yeah. And it's just 20 minutes away from downtown, 15 minutes away from the Padre, you know? I mean, so it's it's just, it's in your backyard. You don't really have to go two hours away to find this or risk what, whatever you might come across at Hart Park. You know, it's kind of a consistently safe, quiet space. So these events are very mindful-based, but it's still a little party, you yeah. know? So we do, we're doing three more of those this fall. And I don't have the dates in front of me for the other ones, but we're doing one in October and one in November. That's so cool. I was yeah. actually at the first ah. Sky on the River, and I have to say just the way that the river lights up behind the stage mm. was just next level. And you're right. It is. It, and for me, like, I didn't come with anybody. I just kind of, like, sat by myself, and that was, like, the special moment that I got to listen to live music in this incredible space. Mm -hmm. The energy was just on point, you know, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful time, and that was my first experience here. And I highly suggest anybody in town going. It's a super yeah. cool, fun thing that you guys do out here. And I think they did a, like a mushroom planting the next day. Yeah, yeah. And that was super cool. There was just a lot of cool stuff that you guys do out here. In, in That's a lot of the people. magic of it is all the people, the community, the type of people that come to an event like that. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, exactly. it's so easy for everybody to just get along and like inspire each other and mm -hmm. listen and talk and enjoy. So it's really like what I hope you know community is in my future you know is that moments like that just get being able to get together we had multi-generations there there one of our friends celebrated her birthday there and she had her daughter her mother her grandmother and her great-grandmother wow. so there's five generations listening to the same type of music you mm. know eating the same yes. food that's that's a rare thing these days so that's special to me too that is yoga you know mm. is providing that kind of space too so uh, it feels great so please come join us tickets are available on eventbrite Yes. Talk a little bit about the events that you do around town besides Okihi. Oh, yeah. You know, before COVID, we were all over town. We mm -hmm. couldn't not take our yoga classes. Right. <laughs> I mean, they were like, we did a lot of community stuff. We had the studio rocking full time, you know, 
But uh, when COVID shut down, it forced everybody to kind of change their role. We did a lot of video work through our grant with the Kern Behavioral Health Recovery Services until that funding ran out. And uh, but one of the one of the things we wanted to keep doing in the in the public as soon as possible was our events at the Museum of Art, mm. mainly because they're outdoors. You know, yes. or they can be outdoors, and their garden is just gorgeous. They take really good care of it, and we have you know a lot of close friendships with the staff there. You know, they're just great and. Museums are directly in line with what our, our bottom line is, and that's connecting people, and, and you can do that through arts and culture. You know, it's just a really yes. deep form of expression and a great place to find inspiration when mm-hmm. you're exploring who you are. And, and so we, God, like 2015 or 16, we started doing First Friday Yoga at the museum, you know, free to the public. It was a donation-based event, and, you know, we would do a yoga class, or we would have a full sound bath. We'd have different teachers, you know, it wouldn't just be me or my wife, Catherine. Sometimes it'd be both of us. Sometimes it'd be some of our students from our teacher trainings, you know, it was a great place for them to kind of get their chops, come, you know, teach a class to 30, 40 people of all different ages and types, and you really get a a deeper picture for what yoga really is. You know, it's not Mm. this choreographed dance by super athletic people that have been doing it for 10 years. You know, it doesn't have to be just that. It can be really pure and raw and just bodies moving and feeling good, and, and you share that that uh, vibration in a room with other people aligned in a similar direction, kind of connecting themselves and it amplifies it. Mm, so it's, it's a powerful thing. So we've kept that going basically from March through October every year. Mm. Um, we usually take July off. Don't have to tell you why in Bakersfield. Yeah. Super hot. And then the winter time, you know, November, December, January holidays, stuff is busy. We just kind of oh, yeah. slow down. But then another thing that I do in town too, is I teach a meditation I lead a meditation on Wednesday mornings at the Museum of Art at 10.30 a.m., which is where we met for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been doing that weekly for a couple years now, and it's been really awesome. It's kind of an awkward time, you know, which I've found isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of when people can make it, they usually can. It's really special to them when Mm -hmm. they can make it, and I try to make it real special. Um, But then there's some people, too, that can come real regularly, so we have, like, a regular base. But then there's always new people rolling in. Sometimes there's 20 people, sometimes there's five, you know? Right. And what I love is it's just a consistent opportunity for people to show up in, you know, a, a, a mindful circle if they need it. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of deep work and personal healing you can get just by, you know, sharing your vulnerability with a group of other people after the same sort of experience within themselves. Yes. So it's, it's like I said earlier, it amplifies it. It's great. I plan on doing it indefinitely as long as they'll have me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I... The first one I went to, you weren't teaching. You had another person mm, teach yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that was really like my first group meditation. And it is a special thing when you get together with other people who are really there to do the same thing that you are. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that when, you know, I went to the sound bath and yoga with you and your wife. And I hope Catherine will come on the podcast too. Sure she will. When you're in a room and a space with people who are all just being free and being themselves it makes you feel as though you can be yourself and really experience the what you're there for more. So I want to thank you for holding that space for everybody here in town. And I think it's incredible. I think the mission that you guys have is outstanding. You know, I started this podcast to create community, and I think that you guys have a special community going. And I want to honor and highlight that as much as possible. Me and you will be doing a couple more episodes, so that'll be fun. And we're going to do different topics on, you know, more specialized things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about that stuff. I, I, like, I like going deeper and deeper and deeper, but it's really, it's been really nice just to kind of 
create a little bit of a foundation and introduce myself to your audience and, yes. uh, and your listeners. And it's always fun to, and self-provoking to, to answer these questions anyways, just as like a workbook kind of exercise. So you asked really good questions. It was fun to prepare for this. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm so glad you've been so open and willing to do it. It always amazes me with this podcast. I think I was so scared to reach out to like complete strangers. Mm -hmm. And it's been so well received from the community. And that's been so cool and such a special thing for me. So thank you for being open to doing yeah. this with me and having me out at Okihi. And I hope that the community gets to know about this place and me too. Come join come, your come events. Out and hang out. And yeah. And kids are welcome, which I think is really special yeah. too. Yeah, it's bring definitely family out. friendly. Yeah. yeah, let them get out in nature. I think that's. You want to have an early bedtime? Bring them to volunteer day yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I promise you. Yeah, you know? you're gonna love it. That's your gift. Yeah. You give yourself. So. Okay, before we go, my last and final question is uh -huh. going to be what I ask everybody, and that is, tell me about a time that you felt the most spiritually sovereign, or spiritually free. Well, sovereignty in the sense of like, you know, a self-governed feeling like, so, you know, a, a real deep layer of freedom. Mm -hmm. Probably when the, the first night we, I, we stayed out at Okihi and Catherine mm -hmm. and I decided to just come out here. It was very, we knew we were going to move out here eventually because we had to because people were just coming on stealing stuff from the property, you know, starting fires, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we just had this moment where I saw right away, I was like, we have to get out there. The land is calling, you know, mm -hmm. it's time. And so we just loaded up my ambulance, which is a whole other story, right? This ambulance that we've converted into a, an interesting vehicle that you can sleep in. You can actually sleep two to three people. Um, wow. it's, it's got yeah, a camper on top, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, it's like a tank. I mean, it's yeah. a metal you know, ambulance. So we felt pretty safe staying in that thing. That was our first vehicle out here. And we just really had to dive into it. You know, We realized that, hey, our whole lives have been preparation for this moment we don't need to like sit around and wait for it to be perfect to make the jump into it mm. you know we signed the lease we're committed to this let's go protect our investment you know this wow. this uh let's go become guardians and stewards of this property and it was scary <laughs> mm. because we didn't have the fence up we didn't have a gate up you know right. um our only security was to park a truck in the driveway you know <laughs> and there were still other ways on the property that people would come on we had we had people come on the property kind of maliciously at times we're spotlighted on the regular, you know, at night people drive by real slow and spotlight us, check us out, see what's going on. It was like Ugh. really disconcerting, you know, but just like, I think anytime you really just trust your passion and, and follow um, and ask like, well, what does life need of me? You know, you usually get what you need to get mm -hmm. the job done. One of the first gifts we got was a huge white Pyrenees dog, a great Pyrenees spirit. And he just wandered through the culvert on the property one day. Mm -hmm. We were meeting with some engineers out here and we're like, is that a dog? Is that a wolf? Yeah, <laughs> you know? it looks like a wolf. He's huge. He's 110 pounds. You know, he's a big boy. Uh, when we found him, he wasn't that much. He was very skinny and like starving and just like dreadlocks and just, I mean, he was, he'd been out for a while hmm. and it took about 30 minutes to develop a, tr a level of trust with him. And he just like ran to us and we hmm. gave him treats, got him in the car, took him home. He's been ours forever. And so he was kind of our first layer of protection because I mean, not too many people want to deal with him if he doesn't like you. Right. <laughs> but he's really friendly. So just bad guys he doesn't like. Coyotes. Right. So it's it's been a that that was the last time I really felt like, man, I, I gotta trust my spirit mm. and I'm gonna be taken care of. And and that deep level of uh, of letting go and manifesting it in your physical actions, you know, is about as spiritually sovereign as I think you can get. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. It happens a lot of different ways, but that was the last time for me. We still have the very first fire that we had here, the first night we stayed here. It's really interesting on the in the parking lot. 
because we just camped out in the parking lot the first night and there's still the ash spot from the fire that we had there it's kind of a beautiful wow. thing that i hope stays there for many years to come because it's a reminder every time i walk by it like man how far we've come you know where we started look we're trusting spirit and mm. and to you know use the word of your show you know the, the name of your show that trusting your spiritual sovereignty can lead to great things and so we we hope we get continue to get the opportunity to develop this place and just take care of it right yeah that's so beautiful i think you brought up a really great thing and that's that i think to truly be sovereign and to really walk in that freedom you have to be courageous yeah and you have to and and being courageous is terrifying right totally can be yeah you have to at least say hello to that fear yes it'll come up yeah yeah and it's a it's a really good way of putting it super special thank you you're welcome that yeah thank you it's been awesome it's been a good time yeah i've had so much fun i can't wait to do the next one same bye everybody ta-ta if you like today's episode please feel free to give us a follow and share with your loved ones you can find out more about us and future episodes on facebook and instagram at seeking sovereignty podcast i'd like to end today's episode with my own little prayer for all of my fellow seekers Feel free to say it in your head with me. I pray that the path I walk on leads me to discovering the people and places that explore my divinity and my sacred relationship with Source. I claim my power and spiritual energy as the things that are meant for me will come naturally. I embody love and evolution on my journey to being spiritually free. As above, so below, I remain in constant flow. All my love, everyone. Until next time.